Blog Talk Radio. This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Sam Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast with the Solink Front of the House. And hello again, this is Franchise Today, and it is Wednesday, May 29th. I'm Stan Friedman coming to you today from home base in the beautiful Buckhead neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia. Just a few minutes, I'll be joined by this week's guest, retired pro athlete and Burn Bootcamp co-founder and CEO, Devin Klein, who's going to be talking about his passion for changing the world for the better and how he and his wife, Morgan, are making that dream come true as the founders and successful franchisors of Burn Bootcamp. They're affecting that success. They actually judge that success by the amount of people that they can help to mentally, physically, and emotionally overcome odds. You know, most of Devin's childhood was riddled by not-so-happy things, a lot of violence, drug abuse, and alcoholism in his, in his family, and, uh, and a father that had been frequently in and out of jail. So he's got quite the story to tell for somebody who has work through his own determination uh, to lead to success, both as a professional athlete and baseball pitcher, and of course now as a franchisor. But we'll get to all of that and more with Devin in just a few minutes here on Franchise Today. But first, it's time for the front of the house, where today I shine the spotlight on the ever-growing pillar of excellence that was the Dwyer Group and has become known now as Neighborly. I saw a recent piece in that the IFA picked up in the Smart Brief it originated from the Waco Tribune Herald and was written by their business editor, Mike Copeland. And Mike actually honed in on some of uh, Dwyer's recent rocket, just rocket-propelled success as they soar now across 22 brands, exceeding $2 billion over the last five years. And, of course, most of that under the leadership of Mike Bidwell. Um, until last year, we all knew that Neighborly had operated as Dwyer Group, and it was founded by the late Don Dwyer in 1981. Don started with a single concept, a carpet cleaning and coloring business called Rainbow International. Today, as neighborly, it's the umbrella company, the parent company, if you will, over 22 brands, many related to the home maintenance or repair field, hence the name neighborly. And that move was made to create stronger brand identity with their target customers. Neighborly operates from the campus in Waco, Texas, more like a nerve center, if you will, with about 300 people carrying out training and back office executive functions there. And, um, and Mike Bidwell, again, just talking with Mike Copeland at the Waco paper about some of the trends that he's seeing, um, both within neighborly and within franchising as well. Uh, Mike Bidwell is an interesting guy for those who don't know him. Um, you know, he added maybe five or six to the neighborly portfolio in the last five years of his tenure, uh, brands that is, and has overseen not one but two acquisitions of the company on his watch through private equity. It's now owned by a New York-based company called Harvest Partners, private equity firm that markets middle market companies. And as Bidwell states, they're just getting started. He's excited about Neighborly's niche in a $350 billion sector devoted to repairing, maintaining, and enhancing homes. 19 of their 22 companies that they support are franchised with household names such as Mr. Rooter, The Grounds Guys, Window Genie, Five Star Painting, Molly Made, Mosquito Joe, 
a recent acquisition, and Dream Doors Neighborly also supports its franchisees via nearly a dozen corporate support centers worldwide. So what are some of the things that Mike shared with Mike Copeland? Some of the things he says that he notices is that an aging housing stock and an aging population uh, is upon us. And the fact that many millennials don't even own a hammer, much less want to work with one, which bodes well for home repair and maintenance ventures. And he said appliances are becoming even more sophisticated, as we all know, with operating systems that are more costly to repair and more inclined to break. Many of their franchisees are second or third generation family members owning an independent business that wants or needs to grow. I'm going to add Mike Bidwell to my bucket list of future guests and see if we can't get him on to talk more about this amazing corporation, its culture, and its success in the coming weeks. Remember, all of our guests each week represent different points on the franchise compass and all have one thing in common. They've all demonstrated the ability to put the word sustainable in front of growth and sensible in front of franchising. Then they all come here to share those nuggets with you from their core competencies and life's experiences. Also today in the front of the house, a, a new trend to keep your eye on and one to be watching for and we're hearing more and more about, which is the new perk for fast food workers finishing the shift and getting cash to go, as reported this week by Bloomberg Business. Workers at some churches, churches, chickens, Pizza Hut, and checkers can now get expedited pay as U.S. restaurants are grappling extensively with a labor shortage that's not showing any signs of abating. Restaurant chains are pulling out all the stops to attract and retain cooks and cashiers amid persistently low unemployment. The latest move, same-day and next-day paychecks, starting in June, eight churches' chickens will offer employees half of their earned pay the day after their shift. The test will gauge whether the 50% is enough for workers, and the idea is to roll it out more widely going forward. It's not a loan, and therefore there are no fees. It will give the employee the chance to spend money quicker. Church's Chief Executive Officer Joe Christina tells in an interview, some people just can't wait for two weeks to get paid. With an accelerating economy and the U.S. jobless rate, At a 49-year low, restaurants are hurting. The dining industry is growing increasingly desperate to attract and keep quality employees, and simply raising wages isn't always enough. That's why they're getting creative with their hiring practices, text message recruiting, and signing bonuses. McDonald's is even going after senior citizens to flip burgers. Let me make a note of that and keep it in mind. Labor is the number one item discussed among management, Christina said. In all my years, years, it's the toughest labor market I can ever remember. Restaurants are being squeezed as fewer teens enter the workforce and higher minimum wages go into effect in parts of the USA. Also, higher page for lower skilled workers at companies such as Amazon, Walmart, and Target are making it even more difficult for restaurants to compete for talent. We'll be keeping an eye on that, and I know we'll be hearing more and talking more about that in the weeks ahead. But for now, that's the front of the house, and it's brought to you by Solink, a company that provides amazing loss prevention technology for restaurants and retail. In fact, I often describe Solink as doing for loss prevention the equivalent 
of what Apple and Android have done for cell phones. They've made these tools smarter. Whether you operate a single unit or a multi-unit empire, or if you're the franchisor or an executive of a retail or restaurant brand with unit-level economics on your plate, you need to learn more about Solink. Once deployed, Solink's technology captures instances of exceptional behavior at all of your sites. Solink then records everything that goes on in the front and back of the house, and utilizing its gold standard algorithms, creates reports that direct your attention to the specific video clips that it's captured, so you may re- be able to review these events without rolling through hours of videotape. And what's better is that Solink does all the heavy lifting, utilizing existing point-of-sale and security equipment. There's no new hardware needed to put Solink to work for you. As always, you can find out more about Solink online at www.solink.com. That's www.solink.com. And with all of that behind us, it's time now for today's guest, Devin Klein, who, along with his wife Morgan, co-founded Burn Bootcamp, where the mission is to ignite global health transformation by empowering women to maximize the quality of their lives. They seek to build confidence, happiness, and disciplines that transcend fitness into a community of mentally, emotionally, and physically strong women. They vow to educate, influence, and inspire every life they touch with knowledge in their heads, love in their hearts, strength in their bodies, and passion in their souls. Devin, welcome to Franchise Today. Stan, thanks for having me. And every time I hear that mission statement, it literally brings, it brings like emotions to my body. So you said it perfectly. That was exactly how I say it at all of our uh, uh, internal events and everything. So that was very well done. Well, I appreciate that. But I want to ask you to clean something up for me before we move into the rest of our hour together. And that is this speaks specifically to women, whereas I know I've read things both online and even on your own website where there are references to, to men and to families. So help us understand where those lines kind of blur. Yeah, definitely. You know, we started off, and this is, uh, this is a, a pretty crazy story, but we started off literally niche towards moms. Uh, Burn Bootcamp's original tagline back in 2012 when we started um, in, in a parking lot here in Huntersville, North Carolina, it's about 30 women, about $600 worth of dumbbells and masks on the cement. And, and they were moms, and they were all moms. And we thought we didn't have the ambition or the momentum that we had now. We just, my wife and I, we just wanted to create a community where women could feel safe uh, and they could feel challenged and they didn't have to worry about anything other than bettering themselves. And, you know, we continued with that mission. And as we grew from those 30 clients to now over 80,000, you know, along the way, we realized that uh, part of maximizing the quality of our clients' lives is, is allowing their children and their husbands and their dads and their brothers access into the gym too. And so we went from strictly just female-oriented uh, boot camp sessions, and now we have about 25% of them that are co-ed. But you're not really going to see that too much uh, externally facing. We really try to, you know, stay true to who we are and never negotiate with the soul of our brand. And that's really, you know, why you see mostly women out there today. But we do, uh, we do allow men to come in, and we just want to maintain that environment, Stan. I think that's very, very important because uh, that upholds the integrity of our entire system. Agreed. Listen, Devin, this is uh, every week we begin the interview with our guests, taking us back to the place and time where franchising found them because we all 
every week hear me talk about how franchising is not intentional. It's not something we study up for and decide to do with our lives. It kind of finds us along the way. I want you to take us back to that time. And then in your case, we're going to delve even further back because there was a whole career in, in sports that preceded your foray into franchising. And then there was a childhood that um, you are quite fortunate to have emerged from with not one but multiple successes to share with us. Take us first back through your childhood years, and then let's roll the tape forward through baseball and into franchising. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so growing up in Battle Creek, Michigan, I uh, you mentioned it on the on the front end of the call, but yeah, I grew up in a low-income housing a couple blocks from the projects. I grew up on, on food stamps my whole life, and uh, my, my father in and out of, he went to prison one time and out of jail for most of my life. My mom left when I was just a, a young boy, 12 or 13 years old. And, you know, it was, it was tough having them, you know, kind of go at each other all the time, cops showing up, you know, once or twice a month. And, you know, luckily what I, what I found was two things, really. I found sports. I, that were the, there was, sports were the outlet for me, especially baseball. And, uh, and then I met my, my – well, then, then it was puppy love, but my now current wife, Morgan – when I was 12 years old and her family was so intricate in, in my upbringing and just watching them move and shake as a, as a family uh, really inspired me. And so they took, they took me in a lot as their own and Morgan and I have been together, you know, ever since and kind of fast forward into like high school years. I just used baseball as in sports, football, basketball as an escape, you know, cause I knew what waited for me on the other side, you go going home, you're not too motivated to go home when you know, that that type of environment waits for you. So I was always the mm-hmm. first one to get to school, the, the last one uh, to leave practice. And, uh, you know, that, that I wasn't always the most talented athlete. Like I wasn't, you know, I could throw 90 miles an hour, but that took a lot of work. You know, it, it only happened when I started gaining weight and eating right and, you know, lifting. Uh, so by the time my, my senior year of high school rolled around, I got the opportunity to get a scholarship to Central Michigan University. Went there for three seasons. Uh, the San Francisco Giants picked me up in uh, 2009, and I played 9, 10, and 11 with the San Francisco Giants. And, you know, kind of throughout that time, those six years where I played ball in college and the professional ranks, I traveled the country. And I got to see, like, outside of this, you know, kind of limited scope, this lens that you get to see when you're growing up and you get to see your parents and your street you live on. And, you know, that environment became bigger. Uh, and I got to see that the normal household problems weren't necessarily alcohol and drug abuse. And it, it was more so lethargy and energy and people just, people just, you know, not taking care of themselves. And so by nat- by nature, me being somebody that had to work really, really hard at those things, I kind of influenced those people as I traveled. And uh, in retrospect, looking back on it, that was really the seed that started Burn Boot Camp. And uh, yeah, got released, you know, had a couple couple jobs I was trying to just kind of flail through uh getting released and try to sort all of those emotions out when when it's baseball is your identity and you no longer have it uh you know you there's a there was a, a couple months there where I was kind of lost and so ended up uh Morgan was working for Kellogg's the, the cereal company uh cereal city Battle Creek Michigan so she came up with them and she was down in Naples Florida she got a promotion to Charlotte North Carolina uh, around the same time that I was getting released, and I ended up following her here. Uh, she was paying my cell phone bill still at the time, and uh, I found a <laughs> I found a local I found a local parking lot, and um, you know, uh, fortunately, the gentleman who owned the gymnastics facility that was on the parking lot gave me a very very good deal to to start my 
Jim in in his backyard, and that was kind of the seed that planted the whole thing. So carry us forward then. Um, that first yeah, unit, uh, that first location, and and you built the program around it. Tell us more about how that rolled out. Yeah, would love to. So yeah, so like I said, we we're in we we're in a parking lot, and I had no business acumen at all. Like <laughs> baseball was my major, and I went to school only so that I could get good enough grades to keep on the field. Never really cared about school. Always decent at it naturally had some intelligence but never really cared about it and so when I when I was forced to become an entrepreneur I got hit really hard um I moved up to North Carolina to Charlotte and for the first 30 30 35 days I was here all I did was just pound the pavement telling people about burn boot camp and this you know it's a really it's a really compelling offer when you're this like 24 year old guy and you know approaching women at like the grocery store and in the community like hey I know you don't know me but maybe you should uh, consider coming to train with me in a dark parking lot at 5 a.m. in the morning with like five other people. It's like, so we're not even, we're not even in a gym. This is an outdoor. You're in an actual door and you were able to talk women into calling, coming to you instead of calling the cops because this guy is trying to tell me to go to a dark alley somewhere. Yeah. And it was, (laughs) and it was outside of like a not so nice neighborhood too. Um, and, and they did, and they did, and it was because I'm so just so genuine, and I've always been that way, and I think people can read that emotion. Uh, they can read that type of energy, and so I got, uh, I got 30 people to say yes, uh, and Incredible. the first week was rough, though, because when you go out, you spend every waking hour, 15 hours a day trying to preach this message, and then you finally launch the brand, and on the first week, I had like four people show up on a Monday, and then five on a Tuesday, and then four on a Wednesday and then nobody showed up on Friday, uh, Thursday and Friday and Saturday, nobody the first week. And like, that's, that's the point, like anybody listening, like if you're an entrepreneur and you're a true blood, you got entrepreneurship in your DNA, then you, you, the only choice is to, is to fight back against that. You know, a lot of people have a fork in the road type choice where, Hey, I could maybe go be a better marketer to get more people to learn about me or just pack it up and, you know, go, be a bank teller somewhere. Not that that's a bad thing. That's just not what I wanted. And Mm -hmm. so I decided at that very moment, literally, I can remember it. I was sitting down on the cement and I was crying. Like I, I, cause I would, I'd worked so hard. And the only thing that kept going through my mind was if this doesn't work, do I end up like my parents? And I can remember very distinctly um, saying, excuse my language, but hell no, that's not happening. That's not even an option. I'm just not, I'm not going that route. So I need to learn to be a marketer. And that day, Burn Boot Camp, and we still have the philosophy today, became a media company whose product is happiness for our clients. And that's the way that we move and shake here at headquarters. Um, so then fast forward to uh, two years later, we built like four sublease locations around North Charlotte. One was a parking lot. One was a um, basketball gym. One was an old abandoned theater. One was a dance studio. And we just started growing and we ended up having like 800 clients all paying us EFT, which is elect- electronic uh, funds transfer. And these are automatic payments. You know, all 800 members, my, my life is financially changed. You know, I can finally like get out of the parking lot and go buy a lease. Um, so I began mentoring the trainers uh, at the other sublet locations and we flipped all of them at at one time it was like eight months but we flipped all of them over into brick and mortars the first iteration of the burn boot camp um uh gyms now and here in huntersville 
my building, I'm literally standing in the top floor of it right now, but the, the, the downstairs 5,000 square foot, a guy, and, and people will probably know this name listening to this, uh, named Jeff Duden, who is uh, oh, yeah. the former CEO of AdvantaClean. Jeff lives right down the road. He's been a great mentor for me, and he leased me the first burn boot camp uh, gym that I had. Um, which, which is, and we're very dear friends to this day. And he goes, and I didn't, I didn't know anything about franchising. I didn't really know that much about business at this point. I just knew how to influence people, how to train people, how to get them to believe in themselves and, you know, how to, how to pull the confidence out of them that already lived inside of them. And so Jeff goes, I'll never forget this statement. He goes, he walks in, he goes, have you ever thought about franchising this thing? And I'm, and I'm like, what do you mean? Like McDonald's? (laughs) And he's like, he goes, dude this brand is really sexy. This would be a great franchise. And uh, from there, I'm like, oh, well, maybe you can teach me some more about it. And he did. He brought me in. He gave me a three-hour whiteboard session talking about validity and unit economics and, you know, how to, how to maintain a culture amongst, um, uh, amongst a, a nation of people and uh, be forever grateful for that. But from there, my wife and I were in. Um, October 2014, we started the franchise disclosure document process. By January 2015, we were done. We did it in like three months. Um, We read 19 other FDDs that you could, all the competitors that you could possibly imagine, um, and and built ours to to try to fill in the holes that the other ones had. And uh, from there, at the time, we had 1,200 clients at this point, and they're all in brick and mortars. They're all in North Charlotte, and uh, there's actually a location in Concord, North Carolina now that's a licensee. There's a location in Durham, North Carolina that's a licensee, so we had R5 plus two more, so there were seven, and we announced now awarding franchises on February 19, 2015, and from there, we've awarded uh, 400 locations in the last four years and some change, so... All right, so let's hold, let's, let's, hold, let's hold up on the franchising side. I want to rewind the tape a little bit. I've been building up a couple of questions here along the way, and I want to go back to the parking lot before the brick and mortar and before you actually had facilities for people to come to. Were those initial women that you met in the supermarket and talked about your program, were they coming to that parking lot and paying, or were they – coming and just learning about the program what were those early early years like was that paid membership yeah so our first our first initial marketing campaign uh was called it was it's kind of a silly name but i i i'm proud of it it's called it was called the human billboard program and so basically what we did was we promised uh that we would get these ladies their transformation that they wanted to get and in return they could come for 30 days for free and they would have to do some social media marketing for us. They'd have to wear some T-shirts. They'd have to tell their friends. They'd have to give referrals. So we basically traded service for marketing, um, word-of-mouth marketing. So the first 30 days, they did not pay. And then once the 30 days were up, then they had the opportunity to stay, and they did. So this was early stage social media, and this was social without the Instagram or without using the web to do it. You basically – doing the same thing, hyper-local marketing, and, uh, yeah. and getting people to sure. spread the word virally. That's great. And so then from there, you advanced to the multiple locations. You started to build a membership base. You started to hire and train trainers. And what an amazing, amazing stroke of luck to have met a guy like Jeff Dudon. 
I mean, I've known Jeff for years and what a great guy he is. And I had no idea that he was at the core of your offering. So that's once again, franchising, talking the walk and walking the talk and doing what interdependency is all about in this world. That is a great piece of information that I thank you for sharing. You're welcome. He's, he's such an amazing guy and he's been able to, and to this day, now we do other things on the side together and, you know, he has just been there for me every step of the way. And I learned that that's just the, that like, if anyone out there is thinking about franchising their business, like it is the most amazing vehicle, the most amazing community, the most amazing governing body. Uh, it is really just all around a, a, a fantastic way to spread a mission. Um, you got to work at it and, you know, you got to uh, look at it with anything, but you know, Jeff has been the core of, of giving me that initial confidence, telling me that, Hey, I believe in you. You got this. Like, I'll help you, but you got to put the work in. But uh, after that, um, it's been it's been the community's been amazing. We're going to spend the second half of the hour talking about the franchise and the franchise offering, um, and who it is that has these and who should. But let's spend a few minutes here first talking more about the consumer proposition. So, what it is you've done and what you've accomplished, and what makes when you look at the sector that of the market that you're in. Um, fitness has just become ubiquitous. I mean, you can't you can't hit an intersection that doesn't have three or four choices on it of places to go and work out or to be trained. So you talked a, a bit about looking at the gap in FDDs on the franchisor side of life. Talk about the consumer side and help the audience understand how, in a sector that's got so many opportunities, you were able to carve out a niche and what that niche is that makes your brand what it is to the women and families that are members of your organization and, and of your team? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And, you know, I always thought the same thing. I really did. I was like, why well, fitness is saturated. It's everywhere. It's on every corner. And, you know, if you don't look under the hood, it definitely is, you know, you know, so is pretty much, pretty much everything. You look, especially like the restaurant world and, um, you know, it, it's, it's uh, interesting what you find when you start to hear how dissatisfied, you know, some people are with, with, you know, the other options out there. And, you know, if you just look statistically, you know, you can't, like you said, you can't go on any corner nowadays. You can't leave an open Instagram or Facebook or YouTube without being literally bombarded by marketing messages, you know, to come here and do this and, you know, lose weight quick and 30 days for that and 60 days for this. But I think what people don't understand is like, it's not working. Like, it's not working. Statistically, if you go and you look at the statistics from the American Heart Association, since, since I started in 2012, the obesity rate overweight percentage has grown 5%. Now it's nearly 20%. It's almost 70% in adults and almost 20% in kids. So how is it that if 100%, if 100% of people know that they have options on the corner, yet, yet, yet only 30% of people are doing anything about it, then where's the disconnect? And that is really where I've made my niche is figuring out what that disconnect was between the availability, the resources being all over the place, and then nobody taking action. So it's like the knowledge isn't the power, it's the execution that's the power. Mm -hmm. And nobody's ex and nobody's executing. So so there must be something wrong. So I've been I've been for the last six years trying to figure out what is that disconnect. And I'll tell you what it is. It is it is that that physical fitness in today's society, the, the fitness culture is broken. Physical fitness is this thing that is put on this pedestal 
like you, the marketing messages that are getting put out are about six packs and selfies and squats and PRs and, you know, how, the physical performance side of it. But the, the, the body isn't leading the mind. The mind is leading the body. And what we needed, what we need is more mental and, and emotional and spiritual, not in terms of religion, but in terms of faith. We need more. We need more of that narrative. We need more of that vernacular out there because it's not about it's not about physical fitness. Everybody knows that, right? If it's about getting inside of somebody's head and, and figuring out what their higher purpose is, figuring out why exercise is a uh, is something that can bring happiness or can be a gateway to happiness in their life. It's not going to create happiness. That's what that, that's the mistake. People work out for thirty days and like, oh shit, I'm just as unhappy as I was. 30 days ago, I might have a couple extra pounds left, but you know, it's, it's about rewiring the mental side. And so what we do at burn is we, we leverage social media. We leverage the commoditized distribution channels that come through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and we educate and we inform and we really try to get people to understand why they keep starting over again and again and again and again. And what's it, what this, a vicious cycle. Um, and so I wrote a book about it called Stop Starting Over, and it's really, it's really become uh, something that, you know, you have intuition about a disconnect in an industry, but then when you start seeing it and you call it out and you start to get this tribe of people who also believe and see the same thing, you know, you start to shift what that narrative is in the industry and you start to either, I don't know yet if it's bend or amend or shift, but we're doing something to the culture right now in, in the fitness industry that is really, really special. And that's where our niche lies for sure. And then you put women focused on top of that. And then now you're double niched. And I mean, it's pretty powerful when you can speak right to somebody's problems, you can, you have a solution for their, for their problems and you're speaking right to them. It's very, very powerful. It sounds powerful, and we're going to come back and talk about the franchising side of that power in a minute, but we're going to take a break first and be right back after this. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsor. And Franchise Today is produced and presented each week by FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM enables real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and their prospective and existing franchisees. This empowers your team to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all communications to and from prospects and existing franchisees, and these include texts. Legal and compliance is simplified, too, with FRM's document management and even Site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored using FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and archived in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees, replacing old-style virtual brochures. There are no long-term contracts required, Multiple upgrades are offered each year at no additional cost, no excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. So why don't we dive, Devin, into the franchising side of this, and you kind of proved concept. You've had the help and guidance of a, a leader in the world of franchising and Jeff Dudan. Um, 
So you went out there and you produced your first documents and decided to franchise. Um, how did you learn more about franchising and how did you get your arms around the difference between being the operator of a one or two or, or three location program and now the leader and chief inspiration officer for those who follow you? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I think that it's uh, probably not too sexy of an answer, but it's just digging in and asking questions and networking and being really curious. I think curiosity is probably one of the most underrated traits that an entrepreneur can have because you don't know what you don't know. And if you go out and you just connect with the right people and ask for help, especially in this industry, they're going to give it to you, you know, and, you know, we have this thing called Google and we have this thing called YouTube and, you know, the franchising world's a very niche specific way to do business. And there's a lot of really great information out there on it. Um, you know, grow smart, risk, risk, risk less. I think here's Shelly's son wrote it soon. Shelly soon wrote it. Uh, it's a great book. It's a great book on franchising about how to grow smart, how to, how to, you know, get scale quickly and not, and not take a ton of risk. And, uh, you know, you just dig in. And then well, I think what happens is when you believe that you have the potential to do something great, then you're more likely to take action if you have the belief, right? And, and the more action that you take that is fostered by that belief, usually, you know, hard work works, you're going to get some type of good results out of it. And when you get those good results, then it reinforces that potential and it creates this, it creates this cycle of momentum that it's really powerful. And so I think that's kind of what's happened is, you know, we didn't have the, you know, the 10,000 global unit goal that we have today, but we just had, we wanted to open five locations in North Charlotte and impact this community. And once we did that, and then we awarded a hundred in our first year, then it was like, okay, we didn't try that hard to do this. What if we did try hard and put a team together and put a game plan behind this? And then we set a thousand unit goal and we're well on our way to that one now uh, by the end of 2021. And so I think it's just this flywheel of momentum that you just keep pushing it whether it's a little push or a giant push, you just push it every day, you know, and, and don't take days for granted. Don't take seconds for granted or minutes. Like every single second of your entire day, if you have a huge ambition like we do, then every second becomes magnified. And I think that's the mentality that we have around Bird headquarters and our franchise network is, Hey, people need us. And, you know, for every second that we rest, somebody else's, um, falling deeper into an emotional recession and it's our duty and responsibility and obligation to band together as a unified front and, and really attack this mission with everything we got. So what's a day in the life of a franchisee look like inside of your brand? What does the franchisee's day-to-day -day activity consist of? We hear stories all the time about people having preconceived perceptions of what it would be to be, you know, the franchisee of a made concept and, I don't want to clean houses or I don't want to clean offices and they learn quickly or they have to learn quickly that the franchisee is not the one doing that job. Um, they're actually either marketing or running the business in some other way. What's a day in the life look like for your franchisees? What are they predominantly doing? What skills must they bring to the party that you can train up to do the rest of the things they need to learn to, to operate a burn boot camp? Hands down, they got to have passion and leadership. Like those two things, if you don't, like we, 75% uh, of our franchisees actually come from uh, the brand, whether it be one removed or somebody who is actually a client. Uh, so that it's very important to us that since, since we believe that culture and community uh, and human relationships cannot be commoditized, that we 
leverage the fact that we were just this a couple people in a parking lot under the Carolina sun showing up every day because we had each other. And authenticity is very important as we move forward to, as we get to scale to maintain that authenticity. So to do so, um, we really, we really like to have our franchise, uh, our franchisees come from the system. And so that automatically kind of, you know, innately gives them that passion. We call it bleed blue. It's in, it's in your blood, you bleed blue. And then on top of that, they need to have leadership skill uh, because their number one job is to, is to foster uh, relationships and foster community within the four walls and outside of the four walls. And uh, to be able to do so with 500 people and eight people on staff, you know, 500 clients, eight people on staff, then you really have to be able to walk in a room, command a room. You have to have leadership. You've got to be able to inspire people that, that uh, to create the plan and not always make the plan. And so it's, it's a lot of leadership. It's a lot of marketing. Uh, like I said earlier, we're a media company whose product is results. So a lot of leadership, a lot of marketing, and, um, you know, really making sure that the backend stuff is taken care of. But then we also have uh, franchise partners who, who are trainer operators as well. And they might do the training part-time and the operating part-time. And uh, so there's a few different ways, uh, but most of, most of them are, are operators of the franchise unit and they will, they have to be very, very strong with leadership. And so are you going to market with single unit operators or are these going to be multi-unit territories or area development? How does your, how does your offering look? Yeah. So if anyone out there is, is either uh, in the growth stage, you're in the emerging stage or getting ready to think about stepping into the industry, I, uh, it would be my recommendation, whether it's a popular one or not, um, to make sure that people uh, who are operating your brand prove themselves first. <laughs> I had a, and I won't say names, I will say a city though. We had some operators in Orlando. We did uh, 2015, we did an eight unit deal in Orlando, pretty much Eastern side and the Southern side of Orlando were all eaten up by this one group. And um, they got one location open and ended up not doing very well at the location and the other seven were just not even going to happen, period. And it was more of a headache than anything else. And so I, I learned very, very quickly, and I'm a very decisive person. So our team and I got together. We're like, listen, how do we avoid this? And so we decided to only offer moving forward single packs and, and, uh, and, and three packs. So now we'll do an area development. We'll direct franchise, um, not through area representation, but through uh, an ADA area development agreement to uh, two or three units for a, a new franchise partner uh, or a, a single unit to a new franchise partner. And now you get them open, they get them operating all as well. The, 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 the gyms are rocking and rolling. Now from there, you know, there, it's a different, it's more of a case by case basis that you make off their, off their cash flow and, you know, their, their um, operating income that they have and, their ability, their availability for territory, whether they need to move remotely or not. So there's a lot of factors that play into that second round, but I would highly recommend just even one, like even when you're first starting out, if we would have just done one at a time and found our really great operators, um, we could have maybe had a few more of the territories in, in their hands. But, uh, you know, what we did is we, 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 we traded a little bit of speed. Uh, we traded speed to market for, uh, for, you know, some not so great operators at first, but uh, now fast forward a few years later, we've, we've put the, we put the, um, 
you know, called the, the constraints in place to make sure that that doesn't happen anymore. And, you know, the, the people who were operating aren't operating anymore and they're out of the system. It's a, in a different person's hands and it, it all works out in the end. But uh, nonetheless, a pitfall that I think uh, a lot of emerging franchisors, even though it's so tempting to get those checks, should try to avoid. Well, you know, I, I tell the audience every week, and I, this is no exception, come here and hear from those who have stepped in these shoes before you. And um, you're here to share those wisdom, you know, pearls of wisdom, those nuggets of things that you've learned along the way. And I'm hearing very clearly, less is more. Begin with the end in mind. Um, take it slow. It's kind of, I'm always reminded of kids that sit down at a restaurant and load up their plate at a buffet with eight times more than they can possibly consume. But I think it's always fear of loss is the number one motivator. And in franchising, that's no exception. So people may be afraid that they're going to lose territory to someone else and they want to grab it up too soon. To your point, oftentimes the first unit has trouble succeeding, much less the second, third, or fourth that they've tried to consume too early. So I appreciate your sharing that wisdom with the audience um, any other nuggets that you would share with emerging early stage franchisors and their temptation to let the cart sometimes get ahead of the horse? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, from a, from a leadership standpoint, when you're trying to grow right off the bat and, you know, maybe have a, a, a proven concept in a couple different places. Um, if, if your concept is proven in a certain demographic, whether that be a psychographic, a ge ge uh, geographical ter territory, a demographic, whatever, whatever makes that in particular unit succeed before you try to jump and to go to every market on the planet, like sporadically have a plan, have a pl like develop inside out, have a plan for that demographic, that uh, geography and, and really map out the locations you want to go to. Because if you try to, if you just, if you react to leads, if you react to people saying, Hey, I want to do this, and you're in North Carolina, and they're in Seattle, Washington, and, and, and they're in Orange County, California, and you haven't stood up how to, how to get a location up and operating and successful in those markets, I'll tell you, America's very dynamic. And uh, don't make the mistake that every, every single market is the same because it's not. The people aren't the same. The languages aren't the same. The culture isn't the same. And so whatever, whatever your proven concept is, um, make sure you prove it first with you operating it so you know how to manage people and then try to emulate those similar territories where you can have your hands as close to it as you can when you're first growing because validity, and Jeff Duden told me this, he said validity is everything. It's critical to your success. If your first units uh, aren't proven to be successful, nobody's going to care whether you were able to run it or not. They're going right. to care whether somebody else was able to run it or not as a franchise e in your system. And so it's very important to do so. And so we built out Charlotte and we built out uh, the triangle area, which is like Winston Salem, Greensboro. And we built out, um, we built out Raleigh Durham first. And uh, from there, then we started getting a little wild with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it was, it was definitely a methodical growth uh, uh, up front. What's the typical footprint? How large is the is the box that you're opening in? Uh, so we like to we like to anywhere from four thousand to five thousand square foot. Um, our our facilities are very well polished, but very minimalistic. Um, it's kind of like I would say the cross between if you were to look at like a 
maybe like a Orange Theory and then a CrossFit. It's like mm-hmm. the same type of equipment as a CrossFit, but the same aesthetics as an Orange Theory Fitness, um, which they do a great job, by the way. I'm going to catch them, but they're doing a great job, and mm-hmm. they should be they should be uh, um, they should be recognized as pioneers. Uh, but yeah, and it's beautiful. And there's a, this thing called a floating floor because when we were at that parking lot slash gymnastics studio, we were able to use the studio sometimes when the kids weren't in there practicing their, their craft. And so uh, the gymnastics floor was like springy. And so when I, when I finally rented this facility from Duden, uh, my clients were like, Devin, we totally want to go do our own thing. There's a few hundred of us at this point at this one location. Like we totally want to go do our own thing. Uh, but the one thing we're really going to miss is when we get to, you know, when we're on that gymnastics floor and then we have to come on this cement outside, it really sucks. And so what I did is I found a cheap way to make a gymnastics floor, um, a great vendor of ours called easy flex. And they just do an amazing job with, uh, uh, crafting that floor for us. And so now we have it in all the gyms across the country. Awesome. So what about item 19 financial performance? representations do you make those yeah we do we take uh we take the bottom third the middle third and the top third and um and that's based on membership and then based on average unit sales uh for a 12-month period and so yeah we we make some financial performance representations and one thing that's cool for me to see now is uh you know the dedication to unit economics that my vps um my VPs and my wife, so Amanda Hall is my VP of operations, Jolene Perchy is a VP of development, and my wife is our COO, and us four right now comprise our executive team, and they have just done such an incredible job with unit economics, and none of us are from the franchising industry. The only people that we have on our team from the franchising industry is a couple of territory managers that help us develop the brand, and um, they've just done an, a, an amazing job, and it's been so cool to see it a couple years ago from you know, $360,000 in sales per unit to 470,000 last year. Now to this year, it's 570,000. So to to increase unit economics across the board uh, by $200,000 in 24 months is it's, it's really cool. And it's all because of those guys and how much time and effort that they put into it and how much they care. So it's, that's, I think it's a little, a little bit too about the passion that I hear coming from you, which is the second next most important ingredient that any franchise org can bring to the party when emerging as a franchisor. You've got to have money to make money, but then too, you've got to have passion for people to believe that when they hitch up to your engine, they're in a wagon that's going places and the engineer, you knows where that is. They're not buying your brand. They're buying your leadership. They're buying your vision. They're buying your mission. And uh, we, we thoroughly believe that. And one philosophy that we have that all of our franchise partners know about is, you know, we're not going to fall in love with burn boot camp and ourselves and what we're doing we're going to fall in love with our clients and what they want and what the market wants as a whole. And I think there's a lot of companies that came before us, um, a particular women's uh, fitness organization that blew up to 8,000 units and, you know, are virtually non-existent today because they failed to listen to the people that are the patrons of their facilities. And so it's, it's about, it's about the, the leadership team that you have and how that leadership team is consumer centric and focused on the customer and what the customer wants, not what they think is right. Give me a look at one year out and share with the audience what's on your strategic plan for 12 months from today and where that'll find you three years out. 
Yeah, so in terms of – I'll start in franchise development. So in franchising, you know, and you know this, Stan, there's – it's a predictable pipeline to growth, especially when you're doing three-packs or any type of, you know, smaller unit uh, development agreements. And so we have 181 of those. So we have 400 units awarded today, a little under, like, 396. Uh, we have 181 uh, in development to open. We're doing about 15 – 12 to 15 a month on average um, organically through our social media marketing, through word of mouth. Like I said, a lot of our, our franchisees come from the gyms. And so over the next um, – over by 2021, we should have we're – on, we're, we're on track to do 1,000 awarded units and 700 of those open by December 2021 uh, with our accelerated growth plan that we have. And, you know, now that we have a little bit of capital, we're able to invest a little bit more into marketing, which will speed up the process a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's where we're going, and we're in the U.S. and Canada right now. We're not interested uh, for the same reasons that I didn't want to go from Charlotte to California right off the bat is the same reason why I don't want to go from the United States and Canada to India right off the bat. I don't know that market. I'm not familiar with it yet. I need help in that regard. And so eventually, Burn Boot Camp over the next uh, you know five to seven years, we'll, we'll have 10,000 units developed. I'm very, very confident in that with our – with our knowledge in social media and the way that we get attention on the brand. Um, but, you know, all, what's most important is not the growth. What's most important is those unit economics numbers that I shared, and those continue to tick up, even if a little bit, over, you know, as the brand matures a little bit, uh, because 700 units open when 200 of them fail isn't, isn't, mm-hmm. isn't good. <laughs> so 700 <laughs> units open sounds really good, uh, and, and it is. And we've only had uh, – a, a couple locations that have had to close their doors at this point out of 205 and uh, for undisclosed reasons, but you know how that goes. And sometimes you have to close a door too, but uh, we're, our unit economics are committed and we're on a, a good trajectory to the that initial goal of 2021 of a thousand units awarded and 700 of those open. Incredible goals. And I believe that you're tracking in the right direction. Um, I don't think anyone in franchising can escape the fact that there will be doors that probably not doors that close necessarily, but doors that probably never should have opened. Um, mm-hmm. But early, early days in, in any new concept um, struggles through a little bit of those growing pains. The, um, the three words that I think are most important to keep in mind at that stage of development is better every day. And you're mm-hmm. going to make mistakes. Everyone's going to make mistakes. Just don't make the same ones twice. And, all great news and all great information. Um, I stumbled across the fact that through your website, you do some blogging, you do some podcasting. Is that something that would be available to those who are no, not yet members or the, the general public at large? And if so, why don't you spend a moment talking about that and, and who can learn what by logging into those podcasts? Yeah, no, absolutely. As I mentioned a few times during the interview, which has been great, by the way, uh, we're a media company whose product is happiness for our clients. And so what we wanted to do is get rid of the uh, just the physical association with fitness. And and so now we provide my wife has an amazing podcast called Coffee and Kettlebells that really uh, touches the empathy and compassion elements of being a busy mom, single mom, a, a wife. Uh, a working woman, a woman in business. Uh, my podcast, the Devin Klein podcast, talks a lot about uh, business and entrepreneurship and, you know, documenting the journey along the way. Uh, we're posting three times a day on Instagram to add value to the world, uh, three times a day on Facebook to add value to the world, a video on YouTube every week, uh, LinkedIn every week, uh, sending out uh, two emails, email newsletters every week, packed full of recipes and uh, workouts and inspirational quotes and 
just trying to add as much value as we can. And you don't have to be a member to get those. Anybody in the world can go to burnbootcamp.com, can go to iTunes or you know, whatever podcast syndication that you listen to podcasts on and type in Coffee and Kettlebells or the Devin Klein podcast. Anybody can come find us on Instagram and shoot us a direct message. We do our best to get back to everybody. But, you know, there's about 550,000 people in our social media networks that, that we reach on a weekly basis and about another – um, and there's some crossover, but another 500,000 on our email list. And so um, we, we, we're very, very happy with that. And what we're doing is not building a business. What we're doing is shifting the culture. And in order to do so, we need to, uh, we need to give with no expectation of anything in return. And uh, it's my strong belief that we'll develop units in the middle. We'll, we'll sell memberships in the middle. We'll sell supplements in the middle. But uh, it's all about selflessly giving and trying to make the world a better place and, and, and not build a business but leave a legacy. Devin, is there anything that I didn't ask that you wished I did? This would be the time to share it because we're just about out of time for today's interview. Anything at all on your mind that you'd like to express? Hmm, I've got a question for you. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. If you were me right now, you're, you've been in the industry for a very long time. You said 30 years, right? 30 years, 30, 30 and counting. Well, I am, like I mentioned earlier, I'm very, very curious. And if you were in my position right now, with 206 units open, opening a couple every weekend, should have 300 open by the end of the year, where would you be focused? Where would I be focused geographically or where would I be focused on where I'm at versus where I'm headed? I think I wanted to not give my subjective uh, direction and let you just because I want to know what's in your mind. If you were me right now, what was the first thing that would like, come to mind that you would focus on? It's holding on to what I've got. It would yeah. be making certain that everything that I'm doing is a down payment on what's ahead. And, you know, to me, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And so growing too quickly or getting ahead of oneself could be every bit the kiss of death um, if you're not prepared to scale. I hear nothing but the right things in terms of your approach to how it is you're going forward and you're doing what you're doing with deliberation and you're doing it uh, with consideration that tells me you're being more the responsible kind of franchisor that more out there could benefit from being themselves, which is kind of why I think you're here today. We don't ask anyone here that can't put sustainable in front of growth or sensible in front of franchising. I wouldn't lose the fear. I wouldn't lose the concern for making certain that you're taking those right steps and that you've got redundancies and that you've got team and people behind you, as you've indicated over and again on this podcast, you do. Uh, foundationally, I think what I'm hearing is, is comforting. But, you know, when you're moving at the speed you're moving, um, you always want to be sure that that foundation is going to support the next 10 stories that are coming to this building that you're building. And I mm -hmm. hear you doing the right. I hear you doing the right stuff. I, you know, in the space of an hour, that's that's all I can do is perceive my perception of what I'm hearing is good. Well, thank you. That's great advice, and uh, I appreciate that. And any, anything else offline, feel free because uh, I'm I'm, yep. I'm wide open, all ears. Well, keep doing what you're doing, and keep enjoying success both for yourself, your team, and most importantly for your franchisees and for their client base. And we'll check in on you again along the way and see how things are shaking. Right on, Stan. Thanks for having me today. I had a blast. It was a pleasure having you, and thanks for joining us. 
Next week, I'm joined by Kevin Wilson, CEO and chairman of Buzz Franchise Brands, where they're bringing companies together that get people talking. Buzz is a multi-brand franchising company providing services to the home. Their brands, Pool Scouts, a business in the pool cleaning and maintenance industries, Home Clean Heroes in the residential home cleaning industry, and recently the acquisition of British Swim Schools. So these being very early stage concepts, for most part, you may wonder, why am I featuring them on Franchise Today, where our mantra is conversations with those who have already achieved sustainable growth through sensible franchising? Well, here's the reason. With over 25 years of experience in business that's included time as a consultant, an entrepreneur, an executive of a large company, and venture capital investor, Kevin Wilson's passion lies in leading strong teams of people and building strong, overarching parent companies and cultures to support these emerging brands. And Kevin, too, is no theoretical newcomer to the franchising world. In fact, after just six years, he built Mosquito Joe to a 290-plus open locations with 60 more in development before selling that brand to the aforementioned neighborly, formerly the Dwyer Group. So this guy knows what he's doing, and we're going to talk about it all right here next week on Franchise Today. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best, of all things franchising. And until next Wednesday, Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.